Chapter Thirteen of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen. Some new acquaintances are introduced to the intelligent reader, connected with whom various pleasant matters are related appertaining to this history. Where's Oliver? said the Jew, rising with a menacing look. Where's the boy? The young thieves eyed their preceptor as if they were alarmed at his violence and looked uneasily at each other, but they made no reply. What's become of the boy? said the Jew, seizing the dodger tightly by the collar and threatening him with horrid imprecations. Speak out or I'll throttle you. Mr. Fagin looked so very much in earnest that Charlie Bates, who deemed it prudent in all cases to be on the safe side, and who conceived it by no means improbable that it might be his turn to be throttled second, dropped upon his knees and raised a well-sustained and continuous roar, something between a mad bull and a speaking-trumpet. "'Will you speak?' thundered the Jew, shaking the dodger so much that his keeping in the big coat at all seemed perfectly miraculous. "'Why, the traps have got him, and that's all about it,' said the dodger sullenly. Come on, let me go, will you? Swinging himself with one jerk clean out of the big coat, which he left in the Jew's hands, the Dodger snatched up the toasting fork and made a pass at the merry gentleman's waistcoat, which, if it had taken effect, would have let a little more merriment out than would have been easily replaced. The Jew stepped back in this emergency with more agility than could have been anticipated in a man of his apparent decrepitude, and seizing up the pot, prepared to hurl it at his assailant's head. But Charlie Bates at this moment, calling his attention by a perfectly terrific howl, he suddenly altered his destination and flung it full at that young gentleman. "'What the blazes is in the wind now?' growled a deep voice. "'Who pitched that ear at me?' "'It's well it's the beer and not the pot as hit me, or I'd have settled somebody. I might have known as nobody but an infernal, rich, plundering, thundering old Jew could afford to throw away any drink but water.' And not that, unless he's done the river company every quarter. What's it all about, Fagin? Damn me if my neckerchief ain't lined with beer. Come in, you sneaking varmint. What are you stopping outside for? As you're ashamed of your master, come in. The man who growled out these words was a stoutly built fellow of about five and thirty, in a black velveteen coat, very soiled drab breeches, lace-up half-boots and grey cotton stockings which enclosed a bulky pair of legs, with large swelling calves, the kind of legs in which such costume always look in an unfinished and incomplete state without a set of fetters to garnish them. He had a brown hat on his head and a dirty belcher handkerchief round his neck, with the long frayed ends of which he smeared the beer from his face as he spoke. He disclosed when he had done so a broad heavy countenance, with a beard of three days' growth and two scowling eyes, one of which displayed various partly coloured symptoms of having been recently damaged by a blow. Come in, do you hear? growled the engaging ruffian. A white shaggy dog, with his face scratched and torn in twenty different places, skulked into the room. Why don't you come in a force? said the man. You're getting too proud to own me a full company, are you? Lie down. The command was accomplished with a kick which sent the animal to the other end of the room. He appeared well used to it, however, for he coiled himself up in a corner very quietly, without uttering a sound, and winking his very ill-looking eyes twenty times a minute, 
appeared to occupy himself in taking a survey of the apartment. What are you up to, ill-treating the boys you covetous, avaricious, insatiable old fence? said the man, seating himself deliberately. I wonder they don't murder you. I would if I was them. If I'd been your apprentice, I'd done it long ago. And no, I couldn't have sold you afterwards, for you're fit for nothing but keeping as a curiosity of ugliness in a glass bottle. And I suppose they don't blow glass bottles at large enough. Hush, hush, Mr. Sykes, said the Jew, trembling. Don't speak so loud. None of your mistering, replied the ruffin. You always meant mischief when you come to that. You know my name, out with it. I shan't disgrace it when the time comes. Well then, Bill Sykes, said the Jew with abject humility, you seem out of humour, Bill. Perhaps I am, replied Sykes. I should think you was rather out of sorts too, unless you meant as little arm as when you throw pewter pots about, as you do when you blab and... Are you mad, said the Jew, catching the man by the sleeve and pointing towards the boys. Mr. Sykes contented himself with tying an imaginary knot under his left ear and jerking his head over on the right shoulder, a piece of dumb show, which the Jew appeared to understand perfectly. He then, in cant terms, with which his whole conversation was plentifully besprinkled, but which would be quite unintelligible if they were recorded here, demanded a glass of liquor. And mind you don't poison it, said Mr. Sykes, laying his hat upon the table. This was said in jest, but if the speaker could have seen the evil leer with which the Jew bit his pale lip as he turned round to the cupboard, he might have thought the caution not wholly unnecessary, or the wish, at all events, to improve upon the distiller's ingenuity not very far from the old gentleman's merry heart. After swallowing two or three glasses of spirits, Mr. Sykes condescended to take some notice of the young gentleman which gracious act led to a conversation in which the cause and manner of Oliver's capture were circumstantially detailed with such alterations as improvements on the truth as to the dodger appeared most advisable under the circumstances. I'm afraid, said the Jew, that he may say something which will get us into trouble. That's very likely, returned Sykes with a malicious grin. You're blowed upon, Fagin. And I'm afraid, you see, added the Jew, speaking as if he had not noticed the interruption, and regarding the other closely as he did so. I'm afraid that if the game was up with us, it might be up with a good many more, and that it would come to rather worse for you than it would for me, my dear. The man started and turned round upon the Jew, but the old gentleman's shoulders were shrugged up to his ears, and his eyes were vacantly staring on the opposite wall. There was a long pause. Every member of the respectable coterie appeared plunged in his own reflections, not excepting the dog, who by a certain malicious licking of his lips seemed to be meditating an attack upon the legs of the first gentleman or lady he might encounter in the streets when he went out. Somebody must find out what's been done at the office, said Mr Sykes in a much lower tone than he had taken since he came in. The Jew nodded assent. If he hasn't peached, and is committed, there's no fear till he comes out again, said Mr. Sykes, and then he must be taken care of. You get hold of him somehow. Again the Jew nodded. The prudence of this line of action indeed was obvious, but unfortunately there was one very strong objection to its being adopted. This was that the Dodger, Charlie Bates, and Fagin, and Mr. William Sykes, happened, one and all, to entertain a violent and deep-rooted antipathy to going near a police office on any ground or pretext whatever. 
how long they may have sat and looked at each other in a state of uncertainty not the most pleasant of its kind and it is difficult to guess it is not necessary to make any guesses on the subject however for the sudden entrance of the two young ladies whom oliver had seen on a former occasion caused the conversation to flow afresh the very thing said the jew bet will go won't you my dear where's inquired the young lady oh just up to the office my dear said the jew coaxingly it is due to the young lady to say that she did not positively affirm that she could not but that she merely expressed an emphatic and earnest desire to be blessed if she would a polite and delicate evasion of the request which shows the young lady to have been possessed of that natural good breeding which cannot bear to inflict upon a fellow creature the pain of direct and pointed refusal the jew's countenance fell he turned from this young lady who was gaily not to say are gorgeously attired in a red gown green boots and yellow curl papers to the other female nancy my dear said the jew in a soothing manner what do you say that it won't do so it's no use trying it on fagin replied nancy what do you mean by that said mr sykes looking up in a surly manner what i say bill replied the lady collectedly well you're just the very person for it reasoned mr sykes nobody about here knows anything of you as i don't want them to either replied nancy with the same composed manner it's rather more no than yes with me bill she'll go fagin said sykes no she won't fagin said nancy yes she will fagin said sykes and mr sykes was right by dint of alternate threats and promises and bribes the lady in question was ultimately prevailed upon to undertake the commission she was not indeed withheld by the same considerations as her agreeable friend for having recently moved into the neighbourhood of field lane from the remote but genteel suburb of ratcliffe she was not under the same apprehension of being recognised by any of her numerous acquaintances accordingly with a clean white apron tied over her gown and her curl papers tucked up under a straw bonnet both articles of dress being provided from the jew's inexhaustible stock miss nancy prepared to issue forth on her errand stop a minute my dear said the jew producing a little covered basket carry that in one hand it looks more respectable my dear give her a door key to carry in her other on fagin said sykes it looks real and genuine like yes yes my dear so it does said the jew hanging a large street door key on the forefinger of the young lady's right hand that's very good very good indeed my dear said the jew rubbing his hands oh my brother my poor dear sweet innocent little brother exclaimed nancy bursting into tears and wringing the little basket in the street door key in an agony of distress what has become of him where have they taken him to or do have a pity and tell me what's been done with the dear boy gentlemen do gentlemen if you please gentlemen having uttered those words in a most lamentable and heartbroken tone to the immeasurable delight of her hearers miss nancy paused winked to the company nodded smilingly round and disappeared eh, she's a clever girl my dears said the jew turning round to his young friends and shaking his head gravely as if in mute admonition to them to follow the bright example they had just beheld she's an honour to her sex said mr sykes filling his glass and smiting the table with his enormous fist here's to her health and wishing they was all like her while these and many other echominiums were being passed on to the accomplished nancy that young lady made the best way to the police office 
whither notwithstanding a little natural timidity consequent upon walking through the streets alone and unprotected she arrived in perfect safety shortly afterwards entering by the back way she tapped softly with the key on one of the cell doors and listened there was no sound within so she coughed and listened again still there was no reply so she spoke nolly dear murmured nancy in a gentle voice nolly there was nobody inside but a miserable shoeless criminal who had been taken up for playing the flute and who the offence against society having been clearly proved had been properly committed by mr fang to the house of correction for one month with the appropriate and amusing remark that since he had so much breath to spare it would be more wholesomely expended on the treadmill than in a musical instrument he made no answer being occupied mentally bewailing the loss of the flute which had been confiscated for the use of the county so nancy passed on to the next cell and knocked there well cried a faint and feeble voice is there a little boy here inquired nancy with a preliminary sob no replied the voice god forbid there was a vagrant of sixty-five who was going to prison for not playing the flute or in other words for begging in the streets and doing nothing for his livelihood in the next cell was another man who was going to the same prison for hawking tin saucepans without a license thereby doing something for his living in defiance of the stamp office but as neither of these criminals answered to the name of oliver or knew anything about him nancy made straight up to the bluff officer in the striped waistcoat and with the most piteous wailings and lamentations rendered more piteous by a prompt and efficient use of the street door key and the little basket demanded her own dear brother i haven't got him my dear said the old man where is he screamed nancy in a distracted manner why the gentleman's got him replied the officer what gentleman oh gracious heavens what gentleman exclaimed nancy in reply to this incoherent questioning the old man informed the deeply affected sister that oliver had been taken ill in the office and discharged in consequence of a witness having proved the robbery to have committed by another boy not in custody and that the prosecutor had carried him away in an insensible condition to his own residence of and concerning which all the informant knew was that it was somewhere in pentonville he having heard that the word mentioned in the directions to the coachman in a dreadful state of doubt and uncertainty the agonized young woman staggered to the gate and then exchanging her faltering walk for a swift run returned by the most devious and complicated route she could think of to the domicile of the jew mr bill sykes no sooner heard the account of the expedition delivered than he very hastily called up the white dog and putting on his hat expeditiously departed without devoting any time to the formality of wishing the company good morning we must know where he is my dears he must be found said the jew greatly excited charlie do nothing but skulk about till you bring home some news of him nancy my dear i must have him found i trust you my dear and you and the artful for everything stay stay out of the jew unlocking a drawer with a shaking hand there's money my dears i shall shut up this shop to-night you'll know where to find me don't stop here a minute not an instant my dears with these words he pushed them from the room and carefully double locking and barring the door behind them drew from its place of concealment the box which he had unintentionally disclosed to oliver then he hastily proceeded to dispose the watches and jewellery beneath his clothing a rap at the door startled him in this occupation 
Who's there? he cried in a shrill voice. What now? cried the Jew impatiently. Is he to be kidnapped any other ken, Nancy says? inquired the Dodger. Yes, replied the Jew. Wherever she lays hands on him, find him. Find him out, that's all. I shall know what to do next, never fear. The boy murmured a reply of intelligence and hurried down the stairs after his companions. He's not peached so far, said the Jew as he pursued his occupation. If he means to blab us among his new friends, we may stop his mouth yet. End of chapter 13